Welcome to Spiritual Charlotte, a safe space for all who seek. You are joining Kendall Heath and Debbie Chisholm as we journey into the heart of community for an authentic and candid exploration into the light. We are seekers just like you, holding a space for all of us, teachers and students together in community, conversation, and connection. Join us for an hour of heart-centered dialogue and discovery. Good morning, Spiritual Charlotte. Episode 40 is upon us, and I am so thrilled to be joining you today. Debbie Chisholm, uh, my wonderful co-host, is not going to be on the show today because we are interviewing somebody um, who I'm thrilled to be talking to. And when we do these long-distance interviews, um, it's just a little bit easier whenever it's just kind of two people on the line. So I do want to um, let you know that we are broadcasting from Lighthouse Spiritual Center in Mooresville. And if you haven't had the opportunity to come to Lighthouse, we are here during normal business hours. Um, It's an open-door policy. You can always give us a call at 704-658-1442 and just say, hey, I want to stop by. I want to see what you guys are about. And so Spiritual Charlotte, for those of you who don't know, has always just been a labor of love for uh, Debbie and I. It's a podcast where we get to talk about meaningful things. We get to combat isolation that can happen on the spiritual and personal development journey um, by making a safe space where we can just explore um, everything that is uh, spiritual and meaningful and transformational in the lives of our listeners. So thank you for joining us. We are a few thousand listeners strong every episode at this point, and that we could not be happier. So um, what I want to uh, talk about with you guys today is that uh, Kristen Vincent is our guest, and Kristen and I met um, at the Wild Goose Festival. For those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, this is a festival that happens in Hot Springs, North Carolina in the summers, and it, it's really a, a festival that is exploring spirituality and social justice. Um, progressive Christianity is the heart of this uh, festival, I would say. But, you know, it, over the years, I think it has really expanded to um, just as uh, the Christian tradition is expanding and just as uh, many people are coming from different spiritual traditions to explore across boundaries. And so the Wild Goose Festival um, remains a, a place of importance to me. And so I ran into Kristen there um, in this wonderful booth that she had uh, for her company called Prayer Works Studio. And uh, Kristen is doing really important work around trauma and healing spiritual wounds, um, and also the relationship that uh, that has to prayer beads, the use of prayer beads as a tool, which is definitely something in the Protestant, uh, in Protestant religions that has been a little bit foreign. And so it's just uh, a gorgeous conversation. She's also the author of several books, um, Beads of Healing, Prayer, Trauma, and Spiritual Wholeness. That is her latest title. Um, She's also written A Bead and a Prayer, A Beginner's Guide to Protestant Prayer Beads, and also Another Bead, Another Prayer, Devotions for Use with Protestant Prayer Beads. And so I just think this is going to be a totally unique show because uh, it really kind of lit the bulb for me whenever I was standing in front of her. And so um, without further ado, I think the best thing is just let's welcome Kristen to the show. Good morning, Kristen. Hey, hey, Kendall. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you know what? It's, it's, it's us who should. It's the gratitude is pouring out on this end because <laughs> I, I rem, you know, when I always, every time I mention the, the podcast to somebody and they say yes, I feel like I, I'm, we're all being given the gift. So, so thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so it works want, both ways. Yes. So, so I'm just, I'm really excited to share, um, share your work with, with our listeners. You know, you, 
when I met you at Wild Goose, um, you had these gorgeous watercolor cards that were excerpts, I guess, from one of your your books. And I, I strung these cards along the back porch of my entrance at Lighthouse Spiritual Center. And um, I get more compliments on those cards. And, of course, there's a whole store that you have that I, that I feel like I still need to fill the shopping cart. Um, but, but can you talk <laughs> to us a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's gorgeous because not only are you an author um, and, and uh, a teacher, a speaker, but you're also what I've called a creative. Do you consider yourself a creative I do now. I it, it took me a while to sort of, you know, own that and come into that. But um but yeah, I think recently I've I've started to really just sort of let that fly and it's been really fun. Can you tell us um about your journey? On your website, Prayerworks Studio, you you kind of tell this quirky story of how you you have gone from there to here. Can you walk us through that a little bit, maybe starting with um, some of the events that happened in your childhood? Sure. So when I was seven, I was um, abducted and sexually assaulted by a stranger. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he threatened me and said, If you tell anyone what I've done, I will come back and kill you and kill your family. And so as a seven-year-old, I totally believed him. And so I brushed myself off and walked back home. And my mom, I I played with my friends, and then my mom um, invited me in for dinner. And I acted as if nothing had happened. And... um, you know, I just had to, as a seven-year-old, just absorb all of that trauma, all of the grief, all of the pain into my little body and hold on to that and not have any release for it. And I'm, I, I look back on that and just think that's amazing that a seven-year-old could do that. Um, so I continued on throughout my childhood, just kind of keeping that secret to myself And it wasn't until I finally left home and went to college that the symptoms started to pour out. And I started having night terrors and depression and anxiety and, you know, even um, anger issues and just kind of the whole nine yards. And so I went to a counselor for the first time and started to talk about it for the first time and begin to work through, you know, all of that trauma and I made a lot of progress, and it was just so helpful. But I, I hit a wall. I got to a point where I just wasn't making any more progress, and I was getting frustrated, and I couldn't access certain feelings and that sort of thing. And so I quit therapy and then went about my life, and things were fine for a while, and then the symptoms would, you know, increase again, and I would go back to therapy. And that became the... um the cycle for me for decades, you know, where I would go to therapy, it would work for a while, then I would hit a wall and I would leave. And so that just became the cycle. And all through that time I was experiencing these, these night terrors, you know, they would kind of come and go. And um, so I, um, I got to a point in 2009 where I realized I had lived my entire life from a place of fear. And I was really, really sick of that. And um, so I started this really desperate prayer. Please, God, please, please let me not live from a place of fear anymore. Please let me live from a place of peace. And so I just prayed this desperate prayer over and over and over. And, you know, I can look back now and see where God was was answering that prayer over time and leading me. What that ultimately did was it led me to a place um, called the Academy for Spiritual Formation. Um, and in 2012, I entered that. It's a two-year program led by the Upper Room. And so for two years, I would go away for a five-day retreat, and I did that every three months for two years. So there was like a total of eight sessions over two years. 
And I thought I was going into this academy to explore my calling because by that time I was doing the prayer beats and, you know, starting to lead retreats. And so I thought, oh, I'll go into this academy and explore my calling and it'll be great. Well, it was clear from the very beginning that my time in the academy was not at all um, or very little about my calling and much more about healing from that trauma from when I was seven. Um, Mm -hmm. What happened was in the first session, um, there was one day where I was going up for communion and I heard this little tiny voice in my head say, I feel safe here. And I thought, Oh, that's so wonderful. I feel really safe. It's great that, you know, I'm, I'm, clearly in a good place here at the academy and I just sort of kept on well the next day I was walking um, just by myself in a in a time of silence and that same little voice came up again and this time it said that was me who said I feel safe here and I realized that little voice was my my seven-year-old self who was finally emerging after decades of hiding and secrets and was feeling safe enough in this place to begin to emerge. And, um, and that was just profound. And so I, um, I got clear very quickly that this was really about going to be about healing and, Sure enough, I mean, um, with each session, something very profound would happen. I would, um, I began to feel feelings I had never been able to access before, and I began to um, express them, and I was able to just sob and rage and, you know, cry and ask questions. And what I came to understand was that as as critical as the therapy was for me in my healing, what had been missing for me was the spiritual piece, that there was spiritual damage done at the time of the trauma. And the spiritual damage was in terms of my understanding of God, my relationship with God, you know, and it was about, you know, all the questions I had for, you, for God. You know, where were you when this was happening? And why would you let this happen to a cute little seven-year-old girl? And what does this mean? You know, was I being punished? Am I not worthy? You know, and where have you been all these years that I've been struggling with PTSD symptoms and, you know, all of that. And the academy gave me the place to to um, enter into that spiritual healing because for the first time I was being still, you know. Um, you know, we mm. go through our lives, you know, we're always so busy. We always have so much to do. And we rarely have time to just be still. And here I was. I had five days at a time to do nothing else but be still and be quiet and be in prayer. And that's what I needed. That's what my body and my mind and my spirit needed to really work out that spiritual healing. And so after that two years, I mean, I left the academy just profoundly changed. And really, I mean, I can say with every fiber of my being today that I live from a peace and I was able to let go of all of that fear. And so that's how I've, um, that's how I've sort of come to understand the importance of spiritual healing as it relates to trauma. And I think that's true for people even that don't identify as religious or identify as spiritual. You know, I think, you know, deep down, we are all spiritual beings. We all have spirit. And we are all going to have questions about why something happened to us and what it means and that sort of thing. And so so I've just really, you know, wanted to talk more and more about 
how we can come to places of spiritual healing um, and the power of that. Mm. You know, um, I mean, that, that in itself, even though I know that's just a portion of your, your life journey it is so significant. I can almost sense our listeners who have also been through trauma, which is so many of us, even if we don't have the language for the, that was trauma. Um, but I can sense them kind of asking, you know, what is, tell me more about the Academy of Spiritual Formation. And I can also sense them relating to that maybe it was the same for them. Maybe there was just an emotional shutdown and it wasn't until they got out in the world and they were away from family and life had more stresses in it and it was time to form more relationships that all this kind of comes to the surface. I think that's very common um, for people who've experienced, you know, childhood trauma and so have you found other people on the journey, whether at the academy or elsewhere, that say to you, oh, my gosh, me too? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the more I talk about it, you know, the more people come forward and they share their stories. And that's been such a gift about this journey for me. Um, and that's part of why I wanted to write, write the book, Beads of Healing, because I knew that there were so many people out there that were like me. And, you know, that's true. Whether or not they, um, uh, you know, survived sexual abuse or not, I mean, I think all types of trauma, you know, whether it's the loss of a loved one or suicide or a natural disaster or, you know, military combat, I mean, there's, there's going to be these spiritual questions and there's also going to be that sense that they couldn't talk about it with other people. Um, you know, we all have um, reasons that we keep it quiet and for, you know, survivors of sexual abuse, there's that shame piece and that secrecy piece, you know, but for others too, um, for other types of trauma survivors, there's just this sense that, um, you know, people don't get it. People don't want to hear about things that are awful um, because they don't know what to say and, you know, it's too heavy for them. And, and they also don't know, I think, sometimes we struggle with finding the words for it. And so I just really wanted to find ways to, um, to come together and talk about our trauma from a spiritual perspective um, and you're right, the Academy, um, I mean, the Academy uh, clearly was life-changing for me. And I mean, I, w I wish everyone could go. Um, it is a, as I said, it's a two-year program. It's based on the monastic um, model. And so for those five days, you're in prayer, you're in worship, you hear um, speakers, you're in community, you have times for small group and um, so it's very um, healing. It's very, um, you know, spiritual, obviously. Um, it's very deep. And, um, you know, but what I tell people is clearly not everyone is going to be able to go to the Academy for Spiritual Formation. You know, um, I mean, hopefully they may be able to go to another program that might be similar but not everybody can even do that, you know. I mean, it, it requires a lot of time and taking off work and that sort of thing. And so what I hope more for people is that they can find ways to find stillness in their everyday lives, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just um, so that they don't have to feel like they're not ever going to find that, that level of healing because they can't go to the academy. And so, you know, what, whatever we can do to, um, to find that stillness in our daily lives, I mean, that's, that can be life-changing and that can be so healing. And, um, you know, that's part of what the prayer beads have been about for me is that, um, 
the prayer beads are this tangible object that I think can kind of help create the space for us to um, to heal spiritually. Um, and what I talk about in the book is that, you know, I think they are important. Um, one, they are, you know, that tangible object. And so many of us, when we are feeling lost or lonely or out of control or whatever, um, you know, having a tangible object to ground us and to keep us in the present moment um, and also to remind us of, um, of the fact that God is right here with us. God is as close to us as the beads are in our hands. You know, I think that is profound for us as survivors and can really help. Um, so some of the work that I have started doing in the last two years is I work with soldiers who have PTSD um, you know, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so I do a session every month for soldiers who have PTSD. And I share my own story of trauma. And I talk about prayer beads as a tool and how prayer beads can be particularly important for people who are, um, you know, seeking spiritual healing and then I invite them to make their own, um, and they get to make their own while we're together. And, you know, when I first started doing that, I just thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> these, these big guys, you know, they have seen more in a lifetime than most of us will. And, you know, me and my box of meat, beads, you know, I just thought there's no way <laughs> that they're going right. to make beads. <laughs> um Right. But they do, and they, um, I mean, one, when they're designing their beads, they will, um, so many of them have um, have done things like they'll, they'll string on a set of, you know, maybe six beads of one color and then 12 of another color and then um, six of a third color. And, um, and I asked one guy one day, you know, what are you doing? What does that mean for you? And he said it was June, so the sixth month, June 12th of 2006, so 6 that I was shot mm. in Afghanistan, and that was the day my life began again. And so they're doing things like that. They're using the beads and the colors to represent, you know, um, specific days or specific moments in their life, usually related to their trauma. And then they're holding those beads and, you know, sort of offering that trauma up to God or the divine or whatever their name is for, um, for the divine. And we're getting these incredible stories from, back from the soldiers about um, how, like there was one soldier whose family really wanted to, um, him to take them to the Georgia Aquarium here in Atlanta. And he just, he has such a fear of crowds because of the trauma that he experienced in combat, you know, from the blasts and, and that sort of thing. And so he cannot deal with large crowds. Um, but he knew that his children were just really wanting him to take him take them there. And so he had his prayer beads and he put them in his pocket and he went to the aquarium with his kids. And he said, I just held those prayer beads in my pocket. Nobody could see what he was doing. And whenever I started to sort of feel closed in or overwhelmed, I would squeeze the beads and I would be reminded that I am here in the present moment in a safe place, having fun with my kids. And that got him through the Georgia Aquarium and his kids had a great time and he had a good time, you know, and so we're just hearing these great stories about how the beads can really help survivors of trauma feel a connection to God, begin to tell their story and just find a safe place to do that. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I know that's just one of the stories that you have in your toolbox, but it's 
it just really highlights the power of practices to me and the power of tools that can assist us in being present for the practice or, or just to be present in this moment. Um, you know, it sounds like when you're at the academy. Yeah, it sounds like when you when you were at the academy that that was really what the offering was, is we're going to, you know, in the same energy of, you know, like a monk or monastery-like experience, we're going to offer you these opportunities for presence and practice over and over again. Um, and that and that there's a tool that can ground us in that um, is only a positive thing. You know, I, I want I want to ask you, um, you know, I know that whenever you brought this work out, that one of the interesting things was bringing it into Protestant communities versus like Catholic communities or communities that understand beads differently. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that? Sure. Yeah, that's definitely been um, been uh, a central piece to my work. So I am a lifelong Protestant, and just for for any of your listeners who may not know, Protestant is just a big word that um, means it covers Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Baptists, Lutherans, Holiness. I mean, you know, uh, it covers a whole conglomerate of Christian denominations. And so I'm Protestant. I was raised um, back and forth between the Methodist and Presbyterian churches. I'm Methodist now. I'm married to a Methodist minister. And so when I began to use prayer beads, um, well, so first of all, there, what, what a lot of people don't know is they may be very familiar with the Catholic format of prayer beads, the Catholic rosary. And their use goes back more than a thousand years. It's this lovely, rich tradition. Um, but it was when there was this split between the Catholic and the Protestant church that Protestants lost out on using beads in prayer. And that was about 500 years ago. And so, so Protestants, we've never been raised to use beads in prayer. And many of us were raised to think it was not okay to use beads in prayer, you know? And so, and, and I live in Atlanta, so, you know, I'm here in the deep South. And um, so I get a lot of questions about that. In fact, the number one question that I'm asked is, is it really okay for Protestants to use beads in prayer? And um, the story that I use to address that um, goes back to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, where the Israelites are, they've been led out of Egypt, they're heading to the promised land, they're having to make this journey through the desert that ultimately takes 40 years, and they just, they're so done with life in the desert, and they're just, they feel like they've been abandoned in this desert, and they cry out to God, and God says, here's some fringe, take the fringe on your garments and hold on to it. And, you know, I think that's God saying, in times when you are struggling, you, you know, you are a physical being, and as physical beings, you're, you're going to need physical, tangible things to hold on to to get you through dark times, right? And so... So I think that's what the beads have done, you know, all of these years um, in the Christian tradition. And so, um, so I talk about that and I tell that story and I talk about how even since the early church, Christians have used pebbles or rope or beads or some kind of tangible object in prayer. And so, you know, I think that that means that the use of beads is not off limits to Protestants. And um, so we are beginning to have more and more of those conversations. And um, in, in the 1980s, there was a group of Episcopalians that developed a new format of prayer beads. They called it the Anglican Rosary. Um, that's what, um, what many of us refer to as Protestant prayer beads now. And it's just a new format. And, so that's 
that's what I teach about and talk about, and that's what I make. And um, that's just been a really nice way to sort of reintroduce Protestants to this really ancient prayer practice, um, but then also share that with people you know, who are struggling to say, here is a way to feel this connection with God, to feel grounded, to feel a little more comfortable in your prayer time and that sort of thing. And it's been great. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I can't help but wonder um, how, I don't know that we've we've mentioned this, how you even started on on prayer beads. <laughs> How did this even begin? <laughs> I know. Well, it's this fun sort of quirky story. Um, so it really goes back to when I was in my 20s. Um, in 1990, my parents went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and they came back with all kinds of gifts for me and my brother. And one of the gifts that they gave me was um, was a little mini rosary. And, you know, my mom knew that I was interested in ministry at the time. And, you know, I think she just thought they were, the the beads were pretty. But of course, we as Protestants, we didn't, you know, pray with beads. So, you know, but she thought they were pretty and she gave them to me. Um, And something within me, and, and mind you, she had given me multiple gifts. I mean, she brought back maybe four or five things for me. But it was these beads that I just was drawn to something really deep within my soul just really resonated with these beads. And um, so I, I just became fascinated with rosaries and I started collecting them and um, you know, my parents and, you know, other family members and friends word sort of spread that I was really into these rosaries. And so they started bringing me more rosaries when they traveled. And so, so for like, Um, 30 years now I've been collecting rosaries and I would just put them up on my wall and display them and I love to talk about them Um, but I wasn't using them in prayer Um, I always sort of struggled with prayer and I think that had a lot to do with my trauma you know I think I was really even though I, I went to seminary and I married a minister and I was heavily involved in the church you know I really think at a deep level, there was still um, a part of me that was really holding God, keeping God at a distance. I didn't trust God. I didn't trust, you know, God's love for me. And so prayer, I just always felt uncomfortable. So I wasn't using these pretty rosaries in prayer. Well, in 2009, and again, if you remember my story, it was in 2009 that I began this really desperate prayer for peace. And Um, In 2009, in July of 2009, my family and I, we were vacationing in um, North Carolina. We had spent the day whitewater rafting. Um, We were headed back to the hotel. We were exhausted and hungry. And so we stopped at this cheesy little (laughs) diner um, in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. It's called Salty Dogs. And it's just this fun little um, seafood place. It's also part biker bar. And so we went in and had dinner, and then we were leaving, and my husband and my son um, were walking ahead of me, and so they were already out the door and on their way to the car. And so I was walking through the lobby of the restaurant, and as I did, um, and I was completely alone, there was nobody else in this space, as I walked through the lobby, I heard this voice very clearly say, you need to make rosaries. And I thought, oh, wow, that is, that is so bizarre. And I don't even know what to make of that. Um, so, so I just kept walking, you know, but it stuck with me. And so, um, so later that night I pulled out my laptop and, you know, I Googled how to make a rosary. And so for the next couple of nights, I just started researching how to make rosaries um, but I didn't really get it. I mean, I was like, why, why do I need to make rosaries? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Protestant. I've never made a rosary before. I don't, I don't get why I would need to do that. You know, why did this voice come to me in this, the middle of this cheesy restaurant? You know, um, 
so anyway, I just sort of, I, I sort of sat with that voice. I did this research night after night and probably about five nights in, five nights after that, um, I was doing my Google research and up popped this website about the Anglican Rosary and I clicked on it and that was the first time I had heard about this new format of prayer beads for Protestants. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I've been Protestant all my life. I've been collecting prayer beads most of my life. You know, I've been to seminary, I'm in the church, and I've never heard of Protestant prayer beads. And that's when this little light bulb went off for me. It's like, I think that's what that kooky voice was trying to tell me. You know, I think it's this, I'm being called to learn as much as I can about Protestant prayer beads and share them with my fellow Protestants. And so I started making them and selling them. And then somebody invited me to come to their church and talk about them. And that went pretty well. And then I started talking more and more and I connected with the upper room, which is a um, Methodist publishing house and um, started writing for them. And um, and the response was like a tidal wave. I mean, the, um, the Upper Room has a devotional book that goes all over the world. And um, we printed something about prayer beads um, in there. And overnight, the response was, I mean, crazy, like thousands of hits to my blog and phone calls and emails. And 100% of the feedback was positive. And it was all people going really, really, we get to pray with beads too? And um, there was just this excitement and this relief and this interest and this curiosity and this hope, um, which told me that, you know, Protestants, just like, you know, anybody else, Protestants are hungry for new ways of praying and for tools that will help them feel more comfortable with, in prayer you know, but I think most of all for something that will help them feel connection to God, um, which I think so many of us are missing. And so, so it's mm. been kind of just this crazy journey and I'm now full time. This is what I do full time. And, um, and it's fun. I love sort of its quirky beginnings and I love how it's sort of weaved in and out of my own healing story. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I do. It's such a good story. <laughs> That's mainly what I want to say about it. It's just a really good story. I want, to, I want to ask you, um, I'm sure that when all this came up, you did just a whole lot of bead research. And I want to ask, you know, for some of our readers that might be more familiar with mala beads from the Buddhist tradition, do you have knowledge of mala beads? I have a little bit. So, um, okay. so what I can what I can tell you is that um, Buddhist malas um, and Hindu malas they are both made of 108 beads. And um, whenever you talk about prayer beads, the numbers um, are always important. You know, the numbers symbolize something and um so in buddhism the number 108 um came it's a sacred number and they got to that number in sort of a, a complicated math formula but um but basically what 108 represents is that there are 108 ways to sin in the world and there are also 108 ways to repent of those sins in the world. So it, in the end, it's a wash, right? Um, mm. And so, so the number 108 is really sacred for them. And, um, you know, typically um, the mala is used to just repeat a mantra over and over. Um, so a short phrase or a word, um, and I actually um, have taken that insight. I really love that that's how mantras are used. 
Um, in fact, most prayer beads across the world um, are used to repeat a particular prayer over and over and over. You know, that's true with the Catholic rosary and Hindu malas. Um, and so, so what we've sort of learned with that, with the, the Protestant prayer beads, is that there's really a gift in being able to take a word or a short phrase and just repeat it over and over and over um, because what that does is it helps, you know, our minds when, when we want time to just be still or be silent or really just connect with God, it's hard because our minds are going in like eight different directions at a time, right? Um, you know, you've got yeah. a a song from, you know, there's a song from the radio playing in your head and there's your to-do list playing and there's, you know, um, an argument that you had with a loved one that's being rehashed. And, you know, so there's usually like eight different things going on in our heads at the same time. And so it's hard to get our minds to be quiet. And as a result, it's hard to just be still. And so I think taking a mantra, taking a word or a phrase, your favorite line from a song or scripture or a poem or whatever, and just repeating that with each bead, no matter what style of prayer beads you use, you know, just being able to, you know, get in a comfy chair, relax, close your eyes, and just let your fingers go from bead to bead to bead, repeating that phrase or that word and if you do that over and over you know eventually that part of your brain that's just going a mile a minute it starts to get quiet and that's when you can really begin to find stillness and really begin to um, rest and really I think begin to listen for the voice of divine for the divine voice in your life, um, you know, because I think that divine voice is always there, but we just don't hear it because our lives are so busy and so crazy and there's always noise, you know. Um, and so I think when we can do that, when we can get our minds quiet, that we can begin to open ourselves up to that voice of God, you know, and that's where the real healing um, begins. And so, so I have loved learning that, um, about the Buddhist mala. I just think that's great. Mm, I love that. All that is so important. What you, what you mentioned. And I also love with the, with malas and perhaps it can be the same with a Protestant prayer beads is when the beads are used to repeat the name of the divine, over and over again yeah. in different ways or you know, obviously for them it's the name of Buddha but the name of the divine or God um, you know I think energetically even um, has so much power when it's spoken um, through our hearts or out of our mouths or in in a practice of some type right yeah absolutely yeah I totally think so um, and what's interesting about that is that so, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that Hindu malas, um, sorry, that's my dog barking in the background. I hope you can't hear her. <laughs> that's um, okay. Yeah, but, that's okay. Um, Hindu malas um, are also made of 108 beads. And that's, again, a sacred number in Hinduism. Um, and, I, and I only have a limited understanding of this. But, um, you know, my understanding is that... Um, the number 108 represents 108 names for God. Now, obviously in Hinduism, mm. they have, they believe in thousands of gods um, with thousands of different names, but 108 just represents that there are at least 108 names for God. And so they use those call that. And so you're saying that with the, the Buddhist mala as well. And then the Muslim subha. So in Islam, they use um, a, a set of prayer beads called the subha, and it's it's actually made of 33 beads, but they go around three times, which represents the number 99, 
And that's because they believe there are 99 names for God. So I love Mm. that across traditions, there is this sense of um, the need to recall the name of God, to say the name of God, to repeat it. Um, Clearly, there is something very powerful in that, you know, Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's even interesting just to build on what you're saying about the the uh, Hindu and Buddhist traditions. Some of those formulas that I have seen in those traditions for beads is, is stuff as simple as um, like the 12 zodiac houses times the, the nine core planets or in the Upanishads um, or the scriptures of the Vedas, they equal 108. Um, 27 constellations um, multiplied times the four padas or parts equals 108. And so it's so interesting that all these cultures have found these formulas for numbers. Um, you know, I want to ask you um, two things. One is, is there a number in Protestant prayer beads that's significant? And also, I know that what the beads are made out of in some of these traditions is really important. And I wonder if in Protestant prayer, de- prayer beads, the, the, the material uh, of the bead is important as well. Yeah, so great question. So in terms of the material, um, there's really not any one particular material for Protestant prayer beads. Um, so it's, it's very free form and it's really, I think about choosing the beads that just really speak to you in terms of their color or feel, texture, um, size, whatever. Um, but the number there is in the, the format that, um, that was made by, um, that group of Episcopalians back in the 1980s. So the total number of beads is 33, and um, that represents the number of years that Christ, that Jesus lived on earth. Um, Mm. And that comes together because there are, so um, both Hindus and, and, both Hindu and Buddhist malas are just, you know, one long strand of 108 beads. Whereas, um, like the Catholic rosary is made up of sets of 10 beads that are divided by one larger bead. So you'll have 10 beads and then a larger bead and then another 10 beads. Um, And because there are 10 years in a decade, those sets of beads are called decades. So most Catholic rosaries are made up of five decades, five sets of 10 beads, And if you go around three times, that equals 150. And that number draws from the fact that there are 150 psalms in the Bible. Um, Oh, okay. And so, yeah. And so, and and, um, the the whole rosary history is fascinating and great stories. But the the Reader's Digest version is that um, back in the Middle Ages, um, or even before then, um, it was um, the practice of the church to pray through the Psalms, you know, the 150 Psalms, to pray through the Psalm book um, throughout the day and across, across a period of weeks. But most lay people were illiterate, and they, so they couldn't have been able to read the Psalm book. And so um, someone came up with the idea of just praying the Lord's Prayer, you know, which is just this short prayer that most Christians are raised to say. And so they said, why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer 150 times, and that will be as if you're praying all 150 psalms. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the rosary was actually developed as a way of making – the scripture, making the psalm book accessible to poor people, accessible to people who couldn't read. And one of the early names for the rosary was the poor man's falter. Um, and so I, I just love that um, because um, I think, um, you know, I just think that says a lot that these prayer beads were, were made as a way to sort of 
um, make prayer accessible for everyone. Anyway, that's, that's a little bit of a divergence. But anyway, so that's to say that the Catholic rosary is made up of sets of 10 beads. The Protestant prayer beads are made up of sets of seven beads, and it's four sets of seven. And that's because um, when, you, when you take a set of Protestant prayer beads and lay them on the table and sort of splay them out, um, it, um, the four lar- there's four large beads that make the sign of the cross. And so that's why you have four sets of seven. The number seven um, for Christians and Jews represents spiritual perfection. And so that's not to say that we are spiritually perfect. You know, nobody is. But it's really to represent that our lives are a journey towards spiritual perfection. And so we are always on this journey, you know, striving, you know, working towards connection with God, um, working towards this this spiritual um, perfection. So if you've got you've got four large beads, you've got 28 smaller beads, then you have another bead called the invitatory bead, which is just to kind of invite you into this time of prayer. All of that adds up to 33. And so that's the number four Protestant prayer beads. Mm, God, that, that is so insightful. I mean, and I am sure that, you know, after someone um, purchases um, the beads or makes the beads, that the next question is always, how do I use them? Is there a, a certain hand? Is there a certain fingers? Um, I know that in other traditions, sometimes the index finger is considered to represent the ego. And so they, so when using malas, it's said we're not going to use the index finger because this isn't like a, a block to self-realization. Are there, are the, mm. are there rules for the, the hand and the fingers and, and prayer bead use in Protestant culture? There is not, Um, you know, and part of that too is the fact that Protestant prayer beads are still a totally new phenomenon. So the majority of Protestants don't even know there's such a thing as Protestant prayer beads. Um, There's, we still have a long ways to go. And so, so the church as a whole, the Protestant church as a whole hasn't had a chance to really weigh in officially, which I think is a good thing. Um, And so at this (laughs) point, Um, so at this point, um, Protestant prayer beads in their use are very free form. And, um, you know, I think that, um, that just sort of offers opportunity for people to experiment and explore and figure out what works for them, you know, and what works for them one day may not work for them the next. And, you know, I think there's just such a variety of ways of using the prayer beads. And I'm fond of saying there are no prayer bead police. And so, you know, nobody's going to come tell you that you're using your prayer beads incorrectly. Um, you know, because I think if the idea is that you are using them to be still and to connect with God and to offer up whatever it is that's on your heart, that's a good thing, you know, and nobody should judge that or, you know, determine that you're doing it incorrectly. So, um, and I think that's really important, particularly for Protestants to hear right now, because they've had this, you know, this taboo about prayer beads, you know, and so I think to be able to just say to them, you know, just run with it, (laughs) you know, just um, pick up a Mm -hmm. set of beads and try it out and see what works for you and see what, what a difference it makes for you in your prayer life and in your daily life. You know, I think that that's just really healthy for them. So at least for now, no, there's no rules. Okay. So I love that because I'm all for let's remove the ta- the taboo off of pretty much everything because really, yeah. um, you know, when you're, you know, when your intentions are pure and it's connection that you desire and you are trying to um, make contact with the divine in any way, um, I'm always uh, all for, you know, keep your rules off of my <laughs> my spirituality. So, um, Absolutely. But, you know, one of what, what I definitely want for our listeners to know is is I want them to know how they can find 
your beads and your cards and the other things that you create. Um, I also want them to know um, in terms of you being a speaker, um, how they can invite you um, to where they are and what it is that you can share and how they can find your books. So we have just a few minutes left if you want to kind of draw a little map of how people can connect with you further on this journey. Okay, that would be great. Yeah, I would love to hear from any of your, li- of your listeners if they have questions or want to have further conversation. That would be great. So the name of my company is Prayer Works Studio. And so prayer and works is all one word, Prayer Works Studio. Um, and so you can go to my website, which is prayerworksstudio.com. And that's got information about um, the books and um, my speaking and retreat leading. And it's also got a link to my Etsy shop. Um, For those of you who love Etsy and, um, oh, my gosh, I'm addicted. Um, So I have a a shop on Etsy that's also called Prayer Work Studio. Um, So you can go to Prayer Work Studio Oh, gosh, I forget how you do that. Anyway, just go to Etsy.com and put in Prayer Work Studio, and you should find me. Um, I also have a website called BeadsOfHealing.com, which we did related to my newest book. Um, So BeadsOfHealing.com, and that will just give you more focused information about that book and some of the bonus content um, the cards that you talked about that you've hung up in your, um, in your um, entryway, um, those are on my Etsy, Etsy site. Um, so we just took my favorite quotes from the Beads of Healing book and we made them into a set of cards. Um, and there's two different options. One set of cards is in those, the, the beautiful watercolor, watercolor design that you got. And then we also have some that are illustrated. <clears throat> um, and what I wanted to offer your readers, um, I'm sorry, your listeners, is um, that um, if you go to my Etsy shop, um, I wanted to give your listeners a um, specific discount code so that um, you could get 20% off of anything in my Etsy shop. And the discount code is SPIRITUAL, in all caps, SPIRITUAL20. Um, so, um, so I hope that's helpful. That is so wonderful. And I, I really hope that, that people will take advantage of that. You know, I have to say that I'm so grateful that you – have, have well I was going to say that you have chosen this niche but I'm I'm more grateful that this niche has chosen you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean Thank truly you. I just I, it, I really think that there's going to be people who um, this is going to really resonate with and I'm glad that we can can share whether whether this takes off or not or the fact that obviously there's people that are desiring this the type of feedback you've had and so I hope we've really turned the light on I hope we've turned the light on for some people today so Kristen thank you so much for for joining the show and um, I hope that we get a chance to talk again and and it would be wonderful to at some point have you come up from Atlanta up to North Carolina and possibly explore some workshops in this area. So I really look forward to it. Oh, I would love that. Um, I would really welcome that. Um, and thank you again so much for this time. It has been so fun to talk with you and to talk with your listeners. And, um, again, I just appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kristen. And um, we will connect with you again soon. And um, I'd just like to say to everyone listening to the show, it's, it's a wonderful journey to go back and hear all the other episodes of Spiritual Charlotte. Make sure you subscribe. You can follow us on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. And um, we will have Mimi Sherman on our show next, I believe, who is going to be talking about Um, mindfulness and meditation from the Zen tradition, and that's going to be wonderful. So thanks for joining Spiritual Charlotte, and we look forward.
we look forward to uh, meeting with you next Wednesday. Have a great week.